I think each room actually is in service of attorneys, right? And that the goal is to help attorneys focus on their the things they love to do, right? You didn't go to law school to like pull data out of documents. Sure. You went to law school so you can be an advisor to you know clients on their when they need you. Mm-hmm. My goal is to help people focus on that. You are listening to Innovators, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I am your host, Zach DeWitt. Today, we are joined by Justin Kahn, co-founder and CEO of Atrium. Atrium is a tech-enabled law firm for high-growth companies. Justin is an accomplished entrepreneur. As prior to founding Atrium, he was a co-founder of Twitch, the live gaming platform that Amazon acquired for a billion dollars. Atrium was recently backed by A16Z, and the company has raised over $75 million in funding. I highly recommend that you follow Justin on Twitter, which is at J-U-S-T-I-N, K-A-N, as he shares many honest and personal insights into what it takes to be a founder. I think you will greatly enjoy today's episode, as Justin is one of the most respected and well-connected CEOs in Silicon Valley. This episode was particularly special for me, as Justin and I both went to Yale, and he was a few years older than me in the same dorm. Justin, excited to have you on Innovators today. Please introduce yourself. Thanks for having me, Zach. Um... I am Justin Kahn, serial entrepreneur and investor here in Silicon Valley uh, for the last 15 years now. Started a bunch of companies. Most of them were horrible failures. Uh, there was one that uh, worked pretty well. It was called Twitch, uh, helping people stream uh, video games online. And then more recently, I was a partner in Y Combinator for a couple of years. And then two years ago, I started this company, Atrium, to help bring legal services into the modern age so Justin, one thing I noticed in preparing for this interview about that's very unique about your background is you majored in physics and philosophy. So you used, in some ways, both the right side and left side of your brain. And, and how, how has that helped you um, become a successful entrepreneur? Yeah. So at the time, it just helped me graduate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you are also a Yaley, so you might remember that there are combined majors at Yale. So a combined major looks like a double major because it's like physics and philosophy, but you actually only have to take half the classes of each one. And so what happened was when I got to college, I was like, I should be a physics major because my mom was saying, hey, you should study something quantitative and like a a good Asian son. I was like, okay, I'm going to take something quantitative. So I I went and got into physics and I took the first two years and it was not that hard. And then the third year came around and it was really hard. I think I got a 17 on a test, like 17%, which with, you know, in the curve was actually not, you know, it wasn't like an F, it was like a D or something like that. But still, I was like, this is tough. So I immediately looked for alternatives. I was like, I don't think I can do another two years of this. And I started taking philosophy and then I was able to graduate as a physics and philosophy combined major. Which is the hack because everyone was like, well, you did, you did <laughs> twice as much work. No, it's like I really only did half as much work. But the way, sorry, to answer your actual question, the way that it, it's helped me, so first it was just about graduating. The second thing was, you know, it really did give me, uh, the philosophy part really helped me level up my writing, actually. And I find that um, with startups and business, a lot of communication is written communication. Being able to clearly express your ideas in a powerful way is really important. And so I, I really think that helped me set that background of um, background skills or get those background skills to, to be able to 
write in a very clear and concise and powerful way. So I also want to give you a compliment on your Twitter game. Um, you know, you definitely have a cult following and are very forthcoming and honest in your tweets. And I think you have a lot of other young entrepreneurs and VCs that, that follow you and, and get a lot of insights from you. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, you know, how you approach Twitter and, and, and what this relationship is for you. Twitter is interesting. Twitter, you know, I kind of probably went through the same phases where most people go through. Well, I don't know if people go through. The phases I went through were like the first thing I was I used it primarily to just promote random entrepreneurship stuff we were always doing, right? Like I had a startup and we hit a milestone and there was a TechCrunch article I just posted on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I didn't really get Twitter. And in fact, the platform that resonated most with me is Snapchat, originally, you know, this back in 2016, because it was more, seemed more fun, more off the cuff. So I just like make these snaps of like random business content, actually, of like things I was thinking or like start advice, stuff like that. And that really resonated uh, with some following of kind of like younger entrepreneurs or people who are aspirational entrepreneurs. And then I stopped doing that when I started this new company because I was like, I need to focus on Atrium and it's hard for me to focus on. I'm a very uh, kind of monomaniac in a way. And like whatever I'm into, I'm like just going all in on that. So started Atrium and kind of like fell off on Snapchat. And then um, I started tweeting uh, about a year ago just the thoughts that were coming up for me on you know, things I was learning. And at the time, about a year ago, I started, well, maybe a year and a half ago, I started really, and what happened, the story, the real story is like, I started this company, Atrium, and um, I think it was a great idea. It came from my experience as a customer of legal. We'll talk about that later. But it was very stressful, actually. After the first couple of months, I was like, it went back to, you know, you've been an entrepreneur. So I went back to the full level of entrepreneurship stress. I was like, did not expect that because I didn't expect it because, you know, I've had a lot of experience and I thought it, this time would be different, but it wasn't. And I realized that most of that stress was really internal, not external. Whatever situations you experience every day, there are going to be good ones. There's going to be bad ones. How you interpret them is really how you feel. And so because of that, I started working on things about myself to try to be more uh, calm and at peace with whatever was going on. And then I started sharing those things as I learned on Twitter. And Twitter for me is a way to, you know, I find that if I share something with other people, that helps reinforce it as part of my own identity. It's kind of like in order to to, uh, teach something or in order to learn something, teach it. Mm-hmm. Is what I say. I actually said that on Twitter and people were like blasting. They were like, that's super ignorant. <laughs> you know, like they were blasting me for it. But I really believe that. If you wanna if you wanna learn something, uh, you should teach it. And so by talking about some of the stuff I'm doing, whether it's meditation or fitness or kind of cultivating a sense of non-attachment mm-hmm. to outcomes, uh, when I share that on Twitter, it really helps me reinforce it in my own identity. Yeah, I mean, you've done a great job, and I've learned a lot um, from your tweeting, and I, I hope that all the listeners check out your Twitter account. It's definitely worth following. Um, so, Justin, you know, certainly Yale had an entrepreneurial culture, but but nothing like what Stanford has or some other universities have. And, you know, where did that inspiration come to start your first, start your first startup? Yeah, so um, my first startup was a calendar website called Kiko. We decided to start it right when Google Calendar, right, well, like a year before Google Calendar came out. So, right, Gmail had just come out, and we we're like, someone should make a calendar that's similar to this, uh, kind of like an Outlook style drag and drop calendar on the web. We actually first wanted to create a company before we had the idea. And so, what happened was a friend of mine, uh, who was uh, one of my college roommates, actually, was like, Justin, we should start a company because we have basically no opportunity to cost and access to all these smart people. 
So partnered with him and another friend of mine, Emmett Shear, who uh, is now still the CEO of Twitch. We started many companies together. Emmett and I partnered and our other friend Matt on, and we were like, let's think of an idea. And we came up with this idea for Kiko. So that was the first startup. We kind of started in our dorm at Yale. I was like Googling code examples, how to make something <laughs> drag and drop on the web. This is before there were many like, you know, uh, dynamic applications. We don't even really make any distinction now, but you know, back then these were called Ajax applications. And um, that's kind of how I got my start. The company in itself didn't work out. We ended up selling it on eBay in this fire sale. But the good part is we got into Y Combinator, the very first batch of YC, you know, met the guys from Reddit and like Sam Altman, who was starting Looped at the time. Um, and then, you know, and I was founded OpenAI. And so uh, kind of got this taste of entrepreneurship. And then that's how we got our start. And Justin TV and Twitch obviously have become one of the most important and influential companies for any millennial out there. And, <laughs> you know, it's, you. it's just been, it's, it's been so important to so many people. And, you know, what, what were some of the learnings from, from that experience, both positive and negative? Yeah. I mean, there's so many. So Justin TV, you know, after we sold Kiko, we, you know, in this eBay fire sale, we, we ended up starting a new company and we had this idea to start our own live reality TV show on the web we called Justin TV. So I would wear a camera around and broadcast 24-7 to the internet. This is before the iPhone, before Periscope or any sort of streaming, you know, Instagram live. So we had to like invent all this technology to make it happen. And it was actually technically quite challenging. And then we launched this show and then eventually, you know, it turns out, you know, big surprise to the listeners, but I'm not actually that interesting or entertaining on video. So we actually pivoted to be, being a platform for anyone to broadcast, Justin TV. We grew that for a couple of years from 2007 to 2011, and then really realized we needed to pivot again and kind of stopped growing. And then we turned it into what is now today Twitch, focused on the gaming streams. Mm -hmm. Lessons learned, there's probably positive ones and negative ones. Positive, I mean, you just got to get started. You know, as an entrepreneur, you, you know this the hardest step is the first step. You just got to get out there and start doing something. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people never get to that step. So, you know, we started off with a very dumb idea, which is like, let's make our own reality show. And it turned into what became a billion dollar company that, you know, now there's like tens of thousands of people who make money on Twitch, right? Who have creating content and there's millions and, you know, hundred over a hundred million streamers who want, or sorry, uh, viewers who watch, watch the content. So it's a really big, thing that's that's changed a lot of people's lives which is pretty amazing getting started like that's that's number one another uh, maybe a negative lesson is i've always felt in the beginning there were four co-founders actually all who became very successful my co-founder michael michael seibel became he's now the ceo of yc running uh, yc emmett is still running twitch uh, which was kind of his uh, idea internally that we incubated from justin tv uh you know twitch is i don't know probably 1500 person company, I bet. I don't even know. Don't quote yeah. me on that. But it's like a big company here in San Francisco, right. you know, wholly owned by Amazon. And then our other co-founder, Kyle, became the founder of Cruise uh, with my brother, Dan. And uh, they started Cruise five or six years ago, um, which is now like, you know, they've raised billions of dollars from SoftBank and others and like are um, creating like the self-driving car experience, right? So it's it's been pretty incredible. But, but at the time, the four of us were all like basically – running the company almost as co-CEOs. Like Michael was the CEO, but we made all the important decisions together um, because we didn't really trust each other to delegate. And so it was like a total nightmare from a like execution standpoint. Yeah. And that was like a big lesson, uh, which is like, you really need to like have 
one person in charge of every given thing and like really trust them, right? And if you don't have that, you have a problem with the communication. And so that, that was like something that took us a long time to learn. In fact, I don't think we actually really leveled up until we kind of broke apart into our own like different startups and stuff like that. But that was a big learning. Yeah, it's incredible how successful all four of you become. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if there's an entrepreneurial gene in your family because your brother's a successful entrepreneur, as you mentioned, at Cruise as well. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's kind of like, I, mean, I always think about like that movie American Gangster, yeah. you know, yeah, about great Frank movie. Lucas where yeah. Denzel Washington plays Frank Lucas and, and, and Denzel's like, all his brothers become like, you know, drug dealers because he was like, he you know, he became one and he kind of sucked them in. Maybe it was a little bit like that. You know, I got into entrepreneurship kind of accidentally, but then I was here in Silicon Valley and then my, my brother Dan graduated in the, um, during a recession in 2009. He couldn't find a job. So, you know, kind of helped him get a, his first job here, a friend of mine startup. And so, so that was his introduction. And then, you know, I remember him distinctly being like, oh, I'm not interested in technology startups. Well, guess what? A couple of years later, he's starting a startup because you're the average of your five closest friends, right? And if you're here in, in Silicon Valley and people are starting startups and, you know, people, he, he got into startups. Then our other brother graduated in 2010 from USC and moved, moved here after a couple of years to go to coding boot camp. You know, he's, he's had a successful career here as an engineer and He's a first engineer or second, first or second engineer at a company called Alto, Alto Pharmacy. uh, Yeah. So um, just a lot of, I guess there is a little bit of it in the family. Yeah. That's great to hear. And then fast forwarding to today, let's talk more about what Atrium is, your current endeavor. Absolutely. So Atrium uh, started off as, you know, I had this problem as this involuntary power user of corporate legal services. Mm -hmm. Everything I wanted to do at a startup, I ended up like paying a tax on to, to attorneys, whether it was fundraising or an M&A, you know, anything I wanted, major commercial contract. And so there were some things I really liked about it. I loved the experience of having an expert who had been through the whole process before, you know, advised startups and like had expert advice, like coaching me through this difficult situation. But I, I didn't love a lot of the other stuff around delivery of the service, right? It felt like there was no transparency around like, what are even the steps that have to be done? There was not a lot of project management around it. Oftentimes deadlines, you know, kind of came and went. And then there would, you know, opening your legal bills would feel like playing Russian roulette, right? Like yeah. it's just like com- <laughs> random. 2,000 here, like, 8,000 there. Right. Sometimes it's just more than they thought. And like oh, it took more time, right. you know. We thought of Atrium as like a way to, to solve that problem. And the way we thought about it was can you kind of build a, um, a company from the ground up that uh, both uh, – has legal services that, you know, kind of lawyers that provide legal services, expert advising, which is the part I love, but also innovate on some of the stuff around process, around sales and marketing, around um, the technology component. So like how people do work and like what parts of the work can you automate doing so that the attorneys can focus on the higher leverage stuff and really advising clients. And that's really what we're setting out to do at Atrium. So on your website, you know, it's advertised as legal services for startups. Um, you know, is the idea to work with a lot of these startups, which don't feel like enterprise sales today, but fast forward, you know, five, 10 years from now, and these are really important generational companies you're working with, and also kind of start moving up market to larger companies as well. You know, what, how, how did you decide to start with startups? Yeah, starting with startups was kind of what I knew, you know, as at Partner YC, I, I really knew startups and, and kind of my voice is you know resonates in startups and so uh really start with them and then the idea is like as these companies grow we'll continue to move up market and grow with them and offer more and more different types of um, services to the startups 
And so that's what we uh, set out to do about two years ago. And, you know, the companies that were Series A companies then are now, you know, some, some of the Series B or Series C, C companies and kind of crept up market as as we've gained more traction, as we've like kind of built our brand. And If I'm a startup and I'm going to use Atrium versus use, you know, one of the Gunderson or Orc or one of, one of the big firms, uh, how is my experience different with, uh, with Atrium? Yeah, so there's a, a couple things. Like a lot of it is basic stuff that you would expect there to exist. Um, so we think about it, you know, the technology that we build is like the talent experience of what our, our internal talent teams use and then the client experience. And on the client experience side, there's a lot of different stuff I'm really excited about. The first is that we really think about how do we move as much of this stuff online as possible. For example, being able to like kick off processes online, right? So like I want to hire someone. Uh, I want to um, do a safe or an NDA or something. Why, like instead of starting with an email, let's start with like, I just fill out this questionnaire online and it starts generating a document for me. Um, we also move a lot of other stuff online, like all your record storage, for example. We store all your corporate records and sort them, make them easily accessible on our online dashboard. Um, we're moving towards all sorts of moving project management for all your projects online so you'll be able to see what's going on at any given time in your projects. That's part of it. That's a technology component. And then there's also like just the kind of business part of it, right? So on the business side, client experience, we think it's really important to like get like really fast response time. So we use, we have like more standard operating procedures in terms of like what's our SLA internally for delivering, you know, fast email response. Um, how do we triage those emails faster uh, in order to like get you that response? And then we have things like the, you know, subscription pricing and business model. How do we like actually make a model that makes sense uh, for startups with you know where you know there's transparency around pricing and price predictability so you actually like know what's what's coming um because one of the things that was most painful to me as a as a founder was just when pricing was like seemed like completely random or was like much more expensive than i anticipated mm-hmm. uh so those are some of the ways we're different i think that for the talent you know internal talent teams uh we're different in a bunch of different ways we try to make this company like a different from a cultural perspective from maybe other backgrounds that people are coming from in law. You know, we really focus on being a conscious company where people take 100% responsibility for what's going on around them. They approach things in an open and curious way and they're um, comfortable bringing their whole selves to work. And then we, you know, we really think it's a collaborative environment. We're bringing a lot of stuff from startups, right, right, into the legal industry, which is like, how do we get people involved in like the creation of their own work environment and like figuring problems out and like improving processes and creating like new solutions rather than being in, you know, heads down and they have to, it's just do what you're told until, you know, you're at the top of the pile, uh, which is maybe how traditional big law works a little bit more. And how many lawyers do you have in house? And, you know, will that scale linearly as, as HM continues to grow? Well, I mean, the goal is that it doesn't scale linearly because we're able (laughs) to, you know, to provide more and more, um, you know, efficiency optimizations and stuff like that. We have about 30 attorneys on our Atrium LLP team, and uh, there's about 70 people on the legal team overall. What would you say the hardest thing you're doing at Atrium is? I think the hardest thing at Atrium is that we are, it's such a cross-functional company. So Atrium has, brings together all these different people from all these different backgrounds. There's from legal, product, engineering, sales, marketing, and they all have to work together. You know, and they have to work together on creating something very new. And with legal work and legal outputs, it's not like one thing, right? Like we're not, it's not just a financing or a hiring an executive, you know, documents to hire an executive or, or you know, here's how you do board consents or something like that. 
legal action encompasses all sorts of different activities that people do for you and lawyers do for you. And so um, really making sure that we are building a company that can execute on all these different things cross-functionally has been probably our biggest challenge. And that's why I'm so invested in creating the culture here at Atrium where people feel responsible for what's going on and they have empathy for each other and they really work in a collaborative way because if, without that, like you can't work on, you know, you can't execute on this stuff. Mm-hmm. How do you decide your roadmap? Because, you know, legal has so many components to it. I imagine you're getting requests all the time from customers to build this or build that. And, you know, how, how do you really, you know, narrow in on what, what matters? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I don't think it's much different from traditional product teams. So what we do, it's actually a much more thorough process than I had ever had in any of my other companies. It's you know the PMs here and the our VPD Chris run a collaborative process across. You know, it's very cross functional with with the legal teams, with customers, really understanding like what are the needs, and then trying to figure out what's the highest ROI things for us to build. Mm-hmm. And the same is true on the operations side because there's a lot of operational things that we that we need to do. So we create our operations roadmap as well in terms of like how do we create standardization or, or like tooling. Maybe that's not like we're building it ourselves, but like adopting a, the best, best in class tooling. Mm-hmm. It's just about a, having a ROI based prioritization roadmap that incorporates feedback from all the different stakeholders. It's like there's no magic bullet, I guess. What reaction have you had from some of the big law firms? I mean, you're going after legal services is a massive market. And there's a lot of incumbents who have a lot to lose here. And, you know, you're, you're the hot upstart company who's really challenging um, their, their solid ground and their positioning. And how do you think about, uh, you know, their reaction and, and how you can kind of counter that? I mean, the reaction is what you might expect. You know, there's some people who are like really interested in innovation in the industry and there's people who are like excited. And then there's a lot of people who are like dismissive, which is kind of maybe what you would guess, right? Which is to say like, oh, no one good is going to join a firm that's, you know, new uh, or doesn't have a brand or like clients won't won't use it or um, it's only good for like very early stage clients and then eventually, you know, you need a, a real law firm or right. something like that. That might be um, what people say. And, you know, I think the, for us, we just have to prove it one step at a time. It's to prove that, that we can do excellent high-class work. And we have, I mean, we really did hire all these attorneys from, big law firms. So they all have big law backgrounds. So, you know, it is the same people who would be doing your work at a different firm. <laughs> so uh, there's that, but then there's, <laughs> there's, you know, it's really just proving it and then doing excellent work on bigger and bigger deals. And uh, as we do that, that I think a brand builds itself. There's been a lot of recent financings in legal tech and, you know, everyone talk in venture talks about the why now, you know, wh- why do you think that is? And what, there's been such a proliferation of, of innovative companies you know, being started to disrupt the legal space. I think it's probably a b- part of the broader trend of like the kind of sassification of everything and how every, you know, different vertical or functional area in a company is getting more and more SaaS software. So whether it's HR with, you know. Uh, companies like Lattice or something like that, or, it, you know, then you have legal and then there's just tons of companies coming out in, in legal, like whether it's a Cure or, or other uh, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Ironclad. Ironclad, yeah. And so people are, everything, area of the, of industry is being sassed, sassified and now like, and um, investors want to invest in SAS. And so that's, you know, kind of feeling this like legal is one of those areas, you know? I don't know if there's like a why now in terms of legal outside of like, well, 
I think people are interested in building SaaS applications for everything. Right, right. Maybe it's just more that software is bleeding everywhere and yeah. taking over every industry. And legal's a huge industry; it hasn't changed for a long time, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. Even even in traditional law firms, you know, dealing with timesheets. You know, so many lawyers are so old school and how they how they approach that. So. Um, it is really f- refreshing and exciting to see a company like Atrium. Um, and I've heard so many good things about what you guys are doing from from customers. I mean, so many entrepreneurs I meet have switched over to Atrium, which is great to hear. And they really talk about the consistency of the billing and how easy it is to start a process online as opposed to having to send an email or call someone. So that's great to hear. So one question I want to ask you is, you know, as we talked about how obviously the lawyers will not scale linearly with, with the company. How will you use artificial intelligence, machine learning to help Atrium grow and stay on top of all the processes you're helping? improve yeah so the first thing is like people often ask when i'm starting oh you're going to create an ai lawyer or something like that and like i don't believe that's anywhere close to happening the place where we see like ai well really machine learning models helping us is um the low you know kind of like really low level work and so you know one example is parsing and understanding legal documents when we ingest clients' legal documents to understand like what was the state of their company, one of the things we do is run them against a, a bunch of ML models that classify them. For example, say this is a safe, this is a convertible note, this is an employment agreement, and then we can take those documents and run them and figure out like map them against the schema, basically. So for a safe, for example, which is an investment document, right, that you might use to invest in a startup, it might say, hey, what's the investment amount? You know, what's the the valuation cap? Uh, you know, et cetera, and, and who's the investor name, address. And we can take that key information and put it in a database. So then afterwards, if you want to do something like render a cap table, that can be like a program instead of someone like sitting in front of Excel and like generating a cap table by hand, right? Is computer vision going to play a big role in what you guys are doing too to, to recognize all the documentation? Um, there's a little bit. So we OCR the, the docs and stuff like that. But um, I, I wouldn't say that we're like, innovating that much on that. I mean, we have a pretty robust document pipeline in terms of like how we process all these documents because we are processing like tens of thousands of documents. But I think that um, that's kind of where it's at. So we've talked a little bit about the hiring strategy. We talked a little bit about the product strategy. And, and I'm just curious, you know, this all rolls up to you. You know, How, how do you allocate your time in a, in a given week? Yeah, that's an interesting, that's an interesting one. So I really focus on I try to stay in my zone of genius and a zone of genius is so most CEOs that I talk to are, end up in their zone of competence. Actually, most CEOs and executives and pretty much everyone, every professional. Yeah. And a zone of competence is like the things you're good at doing, but maybe you don't get energy from them. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is like when you're doing a bunch of things that don't give you energy throughout the day, um, you're drained at the end of the day and you actually end up creating a job that you hate, mm-hmm. that you're good at, but you hate. And that's where most of my friends who are CEOs live actually, uh, unfortunately. Uh, the zone of genius is like things that give you energy that you're that you're good at, and so that's where you want to be. And for me, what I really love doing is I love storytelling. So things like this, yeah. for example, but that's also recruiting, fundraising, uh, any sort of PR, right? Like those are all forms of storytelling, sales. And then I like working on the culture at the company. So I spend a lot of time working on. How do we build a, a culture where people are collaborative and have empathy and, and have trust? And so that's not just on the exec team, but also coaching the various leaders at the company and how to do that. Mm-hmm. So I would say I like spend most of my time doing those two things. A lot of the other parts of operations in the company, for example, having like operating and you know, like operating on every day. Luckily, I have a like great exec team that I partner with here. 
to handle those things. And, and what keeps you up at night? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of things going well. You've just had a very successful financing round. Um, you have happy customers. You see there's good marketing around, around the Bay Area. What's stressing you out here? Besides having a, a uh, expecting to be a father in the next week or two. Right. Yeah. So that's probably the main thing. You know, I'm about to have a kid. Uh, first, my first kid. So that's new. Um, you know, in the company, what stresses me out, I, I, I think it, we, we just need to execute. You know, there's so many things. It is a very complicated company with so many different functions that um, making sure that the left hand and the right hand know what they're, you know, each is doing is uh, constant. You know, we have like a thousand hands here or whatever. Not a thousand, <laughs> but we have, you know, uh, we have a lot. Yeah. So, uh, you know, make sure everyone is working together on the same page is kind of the, I, I think that's probably the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a decade, because that seems to be the time frame that it takes for these startups to get where they want to go. And, you know, where, where do you see Atrium and, and, and what's the what's the big vision for this company? Yeah, I'd love to be the legal operating system for kind of every company out there. So when you, you know, you're a business person at a company or GC or whatever, you, you need something done, you log on to this dashboard, you can find and source any attorney in any specialization and kind of kick off a project right then, track the progress of that project over time and collaborate on documents or red lines with your with your uh, you know, outsource team and then pay for the whole thing right there. And I, I feel like that would be a huge boon to, um, you know, every company. Have you thought about going into accounting and, you know, other professional services beyond legal services? I mean, who knows? One day it could be the case, but right now, like legal is such a big industry. It's like, we've got to focus, mm-hmm. you know? How can our listeners follow the progress of HM if they want to be a potential customer or join as an employee or, you know, just, just, just generally follow what you guys are working on? Yeah, so uh, you can check us out at atrium.co uh, or on Twitter, you know, follow me at Justin Khan or at Atrium is our, our Twitter. So uh, yeah, check us out. So Justin, beyond Atrium, you know, how will machine learning change our economy? Well, I mean, I do think that it will start with automating all of these small tasks, right, which will probably remove a large class of jobs, which are like kind of doing more trivial tasks. Mm-hmm. Or at least reduce how many of, of them, but that there are, uh, which is a good thing actually, in a way, um, because it means that human beings can be freed up to do more interesting, creative work. The hard part will be the transition of like how do we get those people to those more interesting, creative jobs. So I think you're going to really want to see more things like Twitch actually, uh, which are kind of it's a new form of creative job, right. which is creating entertainment content for people based on video games more and more things like that should pop up or, you know, we should support those types of things popping up as a way to create more jobs for people who are displaced by like kind of automation. What does it mean for students in law school? I mean, if they're, if Atrium is the future, would you make a different recommendation to a friend who's considering law school or, you know, how do you think about, about that? Well, I think Atrium actually is in service of attorneys, right? And that, the goal is to help attorneys focus on their the things they love to do, right? You didn't go to law school to like pull data out of documents. Sure. You went to law school so you can be an advisor to you know clients on their when they need you. Mm-hmm. My goal is to help people focus on that. So I think it's you know a great time to go to law school. I guess if we're successful, um, because I think we uh, do change that culture and help people focus on on what they actually love doing. Do you think in five years it'll be possible to even buy software that doesn't have some form of machine learning baked into it? I mean, I guess that feels a little hyperbolic. I do think it will probably will be, but I, I mean, I think that 
for example, there's going to be basic apps and stuff on the app store or something that like, you know, like a timer app or something like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I do think the, I guess the, the point is like there's, ML is going to tra transform all this, all software, right? And I think that the companies that are most able to benefit from that right now are probably the, the biggest ones who have the most data. So I do think there's an open question on like, is this, you know, how does that affect the dynamic between these large companies and startups? And we're going to see that play out, you know? So this is a question we usually like to ask our CEOs at the end of these interviews, and this is particularly relevant for you given, you know, you've had multiple successful startups. Uh, but Justin, what, what advice do you have for new entrepreneurs who are building AI-powered businesses? Yeah, the advice for new entrepreneurs building any sort of business, really AI or not, is, um, you know, you have to like really get started and just talk to your customers, right? Really creating a tight feedback, as tight of a feedback loop between your customers and you as possible is like the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people just, you know, they kind of understand that. I mean, YC talks a lot about that, but then at the same time, they also want to do all these other things like, I don't know, go to conferences and stuff like that and like be an entrepreneur, kind of show of being an entrepreneur. And I think it's really, really important to just focus on like, how do I tighten that loop with my customers and just only do that? Mm -hmm. I think a great company example of a company that's done that well is like Superhuman. Uh, the email client where they just like really are maniacally focused on like talking to their customers and then building something that customers really love. And so they created this company that's, you know, just raised money from Andreessen as well. You know, they built a company in email where email has like been around for whatever, 40 years or something like that. And, you know, Gmail has been around for 15. Mm -hmm. And so people are like, you would think all the like value has been sucked out of email, but there's, there's still like improvements to be made if you just like, not, are maniacally focused on customers. Yeah, they've built an incredible product, right? Yeah. And they make you feel like you always have a zero inbox and it's just, you know, they've done a great job. Um, the last question I want to ask you, Justin, is who do you look for to advise, you know, for advice? Uh, you know, who, who's your mentor or your coach or your peer group that you can talk about some of these harder problems with? I mean, sometimes there's some things you can go to your investors with, some others you can't, you know, but who, who do you really look to? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I have a great group of friends who are founders and CEOs of companies that Steve, the founder of Reddit, uh, or my co-founder, Emmett, who's like still running Twitch, or my brother, Dan. Those are some of the people I go to first. And then uh, my coach is uh, Matt Mochari, who's a CEO coach here in, in Silicon Valley. He was a founder before, and then uh, he coaches a lot of great great companies out here. Like that. He's great. He's amazing. He's a legend. Uh, he's really helped me a lot, level up, in terms of just being able to be candid and direct with people in a nonviolent way, communicating in a much better way with my team and being able to use my emotions as a way to, to really figure out what's going on and drive to action. Yeah. The key takeaways from today's episode are, one, Atrium is building a tech-enabled law firm that is initially serving startups, but has even larger ambitions. Two, one of the many ways Atrium is improving the legal experience is by switching to predictable monthly subscriptions as opposed to lumpy project-based billing. And three, Atrium already has hundreds of clients, including the scooter company Bird, our former innovative podcast guest Sift, and direct-to-consumer contact lens business Simple Contacts. Thank you for listening to Innovators. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would greatly appreciate if you could share our podcast with one person who you think would greatly enjoy hearing about how the next wave of business leaders is using applied AI to reshape our business economy. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.vc. 